Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Today I want to talk to you more about that theme, the 5K an hour God slowing down in order to catch up to Jesus. And the series that we're working on uh, this summer, has meant, it's meant to slow us down. We called it the 5K an hour God, slowing down in order to catch up to Jesus. Now many of you wouldn't know that the title for this series came from a book written by a Japanese theologian, Kazuke Koyama, who wrote a book called The Three Mile an Hour God. And what we did was just make it Canadian and metric, so we made it the five kilometer an hour God. But in his book, Koyama said this, three miles an hour, or 5K an hour, is the speed at which an average person walks. It's also, he said, the speed of God's love, the speed at which we best learn and grow. It's the speed that's different than the technological speed around us. It's different than our everyday busy lives. It's the speed at which you can walk with someone. It's the speed at which you can have a conversation. You can see the world around you, and you can reflect. This morning, I want to talk to you about what it means to slow down, not traveling through life at breakneck speed, but walking beside Jesus, as one of our speakers reminded us a few weeks ago, walking in yoke with Jesus, with Jesus at our side. Now, Dallas Willard, who is arguably one of the greatest writers on spiritual growth, just died recently, last decade, Um, he insisted that one of the biggest enemies in our spiritual lives right now is the relentless pace at which we live. A well-known pastor once asked Willard, um, he was stuck, he wanted to know how to get his life kick-started again. I mean, this person was extremely well-known, and he said to Willard, I am stuck spiritually, I want to know, how can I keep growing? So he said to Willard, what do I have to do in order to stay on track? And Willard's response after a long pause, which if you know Dallas Willard, is characteristic of the way Dallas Willard speaks, after a long pause, he said this, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And that was it. Nothing else. I'm thinking if he asked me, I would have said, I don't know if I would have thought of that. I would have suggested that. But it hit for this pastor right on the nail. It was exactly what he needed to know. The truth is that all of us, I think, find it really hard to slow down. We're always in a rush, and without rests and pauses along the way, we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to stay healthy? Over um, the past decade or so, doctors and psychologists have looked at this, and they've even created a term for our culture today. They started to use the term hurry sickness. Uh, Hurry sickness describes someone whose life is characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness and an overwhelming sense of urgency. Just last year, Stanford University professor Dr. uh, Philip Zimbardo wrote an article on the ways hurry sickness can really affect our health in negative ways. It can affect our overall health, he said. It can affect our relationships. It can affect the stress levels that we feel. It can affect our cardiac health. There are all kinds of ways that hurry sickness can affect our lifestyle and can have short and long-term effects on our health. But how do you and I know if we're struggling with hurry? Ruth Haley Barton, uh, a writer, a spiritual writer, 
created a 10-point scale that will allow you to diagnose whether you struggle what she and others have termed hurry sickness. So I'm going to share 10 points with you. You ask yourself if some of these points connect with you. And if they do, there's a good chance that you, like me, have at one point in your life at least struggled with hurry sickness. The first thing uh, she, rec- uh, she asked us to look at is irritability. Do you find yourself irritable and annoyed at yourself or others, especially when you experience a delay? Hypersensitivity. You're easily triggered, easily offended, or upset by things. When you're talking, to make your point, you find yourself talking over people. Restlessness. You just can't settle down. It's like inside, there's a wheel churning. You're fidgeting. You need constant stimulation. Restlessness isn't just the world around you. It's become a part of who you are. Compulsive overworking. You can't stop. You can't say no to people. You can't slow down. You're obsessed with checking things off a list. Numbness. Emotionally, you find yourself numb. You don't respond to the needs of those around you. You just find yourself with no time and no energy. Escapist behaviors. You binge watch TV. You feed unhealthy habits. You eat to escape. Disconnection from who you are. You're not sure really when you think about it who you are, where you're going. You're ruled by the tyranny of the urgent. Basic needs. Your own basic needs, your diet, taking care of yourself emotionally, physically, and spiritually suffers. Hoarding energy. You don't have enough energy for other people, so you keep it all for yourself. And then finally, slipping in your spiritual practices. You say no to the very things that would bring health in your life and help you connect to God and to others. You know, when I read that list, I have to admit, A number of those really, really resonated with me. Where are you on that list? Do you have your life under control? Or like most people, do you find yourself struggling with many of those things? Here's the important thing I want to say. Most of this this problem of hurry sickness, most often we think time will solve it. If I had more time. But the truth is, more time will not solve this problem. This isn't a problem with more or less time. It's a problem in here. It's a problem with your insides raging. It's a problem with how you're making use of the time you have. We say, if I only had more time, but the funny thing is, if we had more time, things would not get better because hurry is an internal problem. Mark Comer reminds us of this. He says, the solution is not more time. If the universe were reshaped and all of a sudden there were 10 more hours in a day and three more hours in a week, or three more days in a week, we would fill up our time with the same kinds of things we do now and be even more exhausted than we are now. I think one of the things I really appreciated about uh, Pete's message uh, last week, Pete Maddox's message, was he reminded us that sometimes we become so busy that we ignore the things in life that are really important, like being a good dad, or being a good husband, or being a good friend. So, what are some things that we can do to combat hurry in our life? And the time that remains, I thought this morning, I'm going to get really practical, and I'm going to tell you what I've been working on to slow down. I'm going to share with you the top three things 
that I've done to combat hurry in my life. But before I do that, you need to know something. Um, I'm a recovering addict in this area. I'm addicted to the rush of getting things done. I love lists and I love checking things off lists. It's true. I have often turned to food for emotional comfort. It's a terrible weakness. I'm addicted to efficiency and I fail to spend my time in the past, especially on things I really need to do for my own health. So I don't have everything together. And I feel like God, though, is helping me stay on this path, especially over the last decade or so. And I've been able to be, I think, through these practices, a little more present to God. So here are the top things, the top three things I do to try to focus on slowing down in order to catch up to Jesus. The first one is not really that complicated, but it sure has been good for me. The first thing I do is I go for walks. Now, going for a walk, I don't mean when I go for a walk that I'm trying to uh, walk at a certain rate, you know, uh, keep my pace up so that my heart rate's up. I'm talking about leisurely going for a stroll here. I go for, the, for a walk to slow my insides down. When, when I'm churning, churning internally and my internal pace is racing, I'll choose to go for a walk. And during my walks, I'll tell you, especially I go in, in early spring, is one of my favorite times because the birds are migrating through the area. When I go for walks, I'm watchful. My attention's peaked. My antenna are up. I, my senses are heightened to sounds and, and movement around me. It's a time when I feel free. And it's a time when I can stop and I can pray and I can listen. And it's not, it's not unusual for me to see a bird for the very first time and, and just out there alone in the wilderness and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I've never seen that bird before. It sounds crazy, I know, but that, it's what I do sometimes. The second thing I've really tried to do to slow down is to spend time in silence. Now, I was terrible at this the first half of my Christian life. And to tell you the truth, it's still difficult today to just sit in silence. But I've noticed what a difference it makes to spend time alone, quiet with God. When I was a young Christian, um, the people around me told me what I needed was a quiet time with God. Now, the trouble with it is it wasn't a quiet time with God. They said, what are you, I mean, I asked, what are you doing a quiet time with God? Well, you read the Bible and you pray. So I'm like, this is busy, very busy. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that because I do, I do that as well. But it was always busy. I was always doing stuff during this quiet time. Later in my life, I learned about the importance of listening to God and about just being with God and not always talking to God. I checked off lists in my past life. I stopped doing that. This quiet time, was an, the idea there was it was a time when I needed to learn to rest in God's presence. I needed to allow God to work on who I was, on my character, on my walk with Him. It wasn't, more about just a, it wasn't about just acquiring more Bible knowledge. It wasn't about going through this checklist of prayers. And that, for me, was extremely liberating. I'm convinced that the main reason that many Christians don't practice silence and solitude is that they don't know how. They can't pass on to others what they don't see themselves. They don't necessarily understand the value of it. But once you've started to experience silence and solitude with God and see how important it can be to helping, I think it's really something we should invest in. 
But our leaders can't take people to a place they've never been themselves. So in the circles I've been in, it's much more been emphasized this time of prayer and scripture reading. But withdrawing to be alone, without an agenda, as hard as that was for me, I tell you that over the past number of years, I've really seen how much it's steadied me, and it's helped me to stay very deeply connected to God. The third and final way I like to slow down is to slow down in the way that I read Scripture. So when I was in my 20s, I came out of my education degree. I said, man, I was over in Russia at the time. I said, I want to go to um, college. I want to go to get my theological degree. I went to Regent College out in Vancouver. At the time, Regent College had a bunch of famous professors who wrote and spoke uh, all the time. And my idea then was, I'm going to go to Regent, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to learn everything there is to learn about the Bible, and I'm going to master the Bible. So when people ask me questions, or when people need me to understand or explain something about the Bible, I can explain the Scriptures to them. Now, I didn't realize at the time when I got to Regent that I had it all wrong. That thank, but thankfully, I ran into some spiritually wise people who short-circuited my little Bible project, and they reminded me at the fairly, fairly close to the beginning that the goal of my life was not to master the Bible. That's not the goal. The goal, they said, was to let the Bible master you. And that's a very, very different thing. The difference I ran into at that time was reading the Bible for information versus reading the Bible for transformation. Reading the Bible for transformation um, is something where you read the Bible and let it have its... You don't stand over the text like you're in control of it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to solve it. The riddles will all be done, and then I can explain it to everybody else. Reading the Bible for transformation puts you under the text and allows God to speak to you, and you yield your life to God. Rich Philotus, in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, called this kind of reading, reading smaller parts of the Bible patiently and carefully, he called that the slow reading of Scripture. And when we read Scripture slowly, we don't just skim over it like a novel. We dive down deep into certain words. And the Psalms teach us what this kind of slow reading is like. Psalm 1, for example, uh, here's what Psalm 1 says, the very beginning, the first two verses say, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, notice two things. It is interesting in the first passage, you get this activity from walking to standing to sitting. It's just a progression. That's interesting. The word I really grabbed onto, though, was meditate because I know that that's the same word that the prophet Isaiah used when he described a lion eating its prey. The lion's hovering over it. He's growling. He's repetitively gnawing at it. He's giving it sustained attention. He's staying deeply focused. That's meditation. The law in Psalm 1 refers to teaching, the teaching or the guidance that God gave to his people. So the idea here is that if we gnaw on or if we chew on God's words and let our imaginations and our minds read it for quality and not just quantity... Slow reading God's word will transform us. 
And there are different ways to do this. One way is just to slow down and think of every word in a verse. So I'll give you an example of that. Psalm 23 is a pretty good uh, verse um, to, to use as an example. The, one of the lines in Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. And one passage says, I shall not be in want, or a more contemporary version, I have all that I need. What some people have recommended, and I've tried, and it's very helpful, is you just slow down and you read it one word at a time, adding a word each time you read it. So, find a verse sometime in the Psalms or in the Gospels or in the Scriptures and read it this way. The Lord. So we start with the. The Lord. The Lord is... The Lord is my, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I, the Lord is my shepherd. I have, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all. I, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. And just being able to slow down for a verse, whether it's be still and know that I am God or the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need, it has a way of just letting it settle in you in a different way. Another way, though, uh, that I've used, I used to teach a course on this, is something called using the movie method for reading Scripture. And it works especially well if you've got a story or a narrative in the Bible. So the idea with the movie method of reading Scripture is that you pretend you have to take the passage you're reading and make a small movie of it, okay? So, you got this passage in the Bible, and you have to get it on the screen. So you begin to ask yourself, well, where's this, this thing set? What is the setting? What does it look like? Who? Who's in this passage? Who's, who's on the, who are the characters? What's going on? What are people wearing? What do you hear? Do you smell anything? You start asking questions like that as if you had to put it on the screen. And there are all kinds of stories in the Bible that use word pictures like this. And um, um, what I found is the best way to do it is just to read the passage three or four times and just start to fill out the details from what you see. What I thought I'd do this morning is give you just a really brief example of one. I'm going to read you the short passage from um, Luke chapter 5. It's on the calling of Peter. And then I'm going to read to you what somebody wrote when they slow read this passage, okay? And thought about putting it on, on the screen. So here's the passage from Luke 5, first seven verses. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, at the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he said, asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. Let's drop the nets down for a, deep, for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught a, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them, and they filled both boats with the fish. So many fish there were that they began to sink. Now, here's what somebody slow read that passage and um, suggested. I imagine, she said, Jesus waiting at first at the edge of the water on a lake shore, looking at Simon Peter's boat. 
He was a carpenter, so he knew something about the soundness of wood, whether it was in a good condition or not. A stone's throw away, Simon Peter's rinsing his fishnets. That stench never seemed to go away. He bends his knees to give his lower back a break. Peter had been out fishing all night, and he hadn't caught a, he hadn't caught a thing. The crowd starts to collect, and then Jesus says to Simon Peter, take me out on the water, and Peter agrees, massaging his lower back. Peter, or Jesus tells Peter to go out farther. Put your nets down in deep water, Jesus says. Peter clenches his teeth. But Jesus, there's nothing to catch. It seemed pointless. They just finished fishing unsuccessfully the whole area. In spite of this, Peter does what Jesus asked him to do, and the result of Peter's simple obedience is astounding. There are so many fish in his net, he can't even manage to get them in the boat. Jesus' gift ends up being an abundant response to Peter's small act of obedience. And so, what about me, I wonder? What if rather than questioning Jesus, I simply trusted him with simple obedience? So it's a good example of someone who read the passage and just put some color and some life into it. Today, I wanted to make this sermon really um, practical. So those are three ways that I have tried and used to slow me down. Go for a walk. Find a way to slow down your internal pace and spend time enjoying God and His creation. Spend time in silence and solitude. Learn how to stop and allow God to work in the deeper parts of your life. Or try a slowed-down reading of Scripture, engaging the Bible with an openness to be transformed, choosing quality over quantity, and watching how God can open Scripture in fresh ways. And I just want to encourage all of you to try to make a commitment over the next month or so to try one or more of those ways of slowing down and see if they work for you. I think you'll find they'll help you grow spiritually. And I think you'll find they have an impact on your life as you slow down in order to catch up to Jesus. Thanks for listening. And consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.